Welcome to another episode of Strictly Legal on WESN Content Capital. I am your host, Rondell Donoa, attorney at law, and I am happy to be here once again spreading the good news of law, the law and you. Of course, you can stream on WESNCC.com and of course on all cable news channels. On the last episode, we dealt with Divorce 101, the basics about the ground for divorce, which is irretrievable breakdown, and the five facts, which is, of course, unreasonable behavior, adultery, uh, two years separation with consent, two years desertion, and five years separation. Now, there are, very, there are varying aspects of divorce proceedings. And, of course, with me today again is Mr. Justin Junker, who is an esteemed attorney at law, and we will be uh, discussing the topic today, uh, what about the children? And that is important when parties are separated and they do have children in a marriage. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Rondell. How uh, are you? I am well. And thanks for joining me once again. Thanks for on, having me back. On WESN Content Capital. Now, let's go straight into the topic because you know there's a lot to discuss. Uh, when there are children to a marriage and there's a divorce, Tell us what happens, what the court looks at. Well, parties tend to get involved in themselves and their dispute with each other. But really what the court looks at when there are children involved in the relationship is the welfare of the children. So whereas persons arrogate unto themselves their sense of self-importance and what he did or what she did, the court really is just focused on what's going to happen to the children of the family. And that's the welfare of the children. Correct. It's a welfare principle. And unless the court is satisfied that adequate arrangements are made for the children or arrangements that are satisfactory or the best that could be devised in the circumstances, the parties cannot get divorced. The court will not grant the decree absolute. And you have children to the marriage, a child or, or children. Yes. And... When the parties are separated, obviously one party usually moves out, right? They ought, um, to. It, yeah, they ought to. They ought to. And one party possibly stays in the matrimonial home, if there's a matrimonial home. Yes. Uh, now, with respect to the separation of children, how does the court view separating children and who goes with which party? Husband, father, mother? Well, that's a loaded question. I want yeah. to take it in steps. Certainly, certainly. First of all, the court would like to maintain the status quo as it relates to children. They would like that the children remain where they are accustomed getting up in the morning, where they're going to sleep at night. And insofar as it's possible and practical, the court will hope that the children can remain there. And then, of course, you ask with whom? The court would ordinarily hope that the person who may be deemed the primary caregiver that is the person who prepares the children's lunches, takes care of the children, on whom the children rely primarily for their care, their safety, their security, their well-being. That is most likely the person to whom the court will have regard when determining where the children go. Now, you also ask, what about the separation of the children? In very limited circumstances, will the court find it appropriate for uh, children who are siblings or who have grown up together in a household to be separated from each other. So insofar as it's practical, the court will also try to maintain the unity of the sibling living arrangement insofar as it's practical to do so. And just to touch yeah. on one thing, when we say children of the family, we 
have to accept the concept of children possibly not being the biological children of both of parties to the marriage, also being considered children of the family. And further, the law is gender neutral. So I know possibly you may have in your list of questions something about who goes to the father, yeah, who goes, who to, goes, the goes father, to the mother. Who goes to the mother. That would have been the next you, uh, question for in you. Insofar as I can help it, Rondell, today I am going to be dealing with the subject matter in as gender neutral a manner as possible because that is how the court views these things. There is no superior right of a father to have custody, care, and control over a child because the child is male or a mother because the child is female. So that the public perception that children always for the mother does not exist and maintenance always paid by the father is also not something that the court adheres to. But Justin, to. if you can just take a pin, but isn't the norm that usually the, the, female, well, the, the, the female child goes with the mother and the male child goes with the father because a lot of times you find that you know when you when you present your arguments in court the the female children are always always with the mothers that has not been my experience okay the children will be ascribed to live with whomever their interests are best served by so that if someone is attentive is responsible and has been seen to be the primary caregiver of that child, that is where the court will determine that that child will go. Perhaps society is to blame for the fact that we have ascribed Correct. roles to different genders. This is and why I was because of that. Advocate. Yes, yes, well, no, 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 no. My experience is that the court is ordinarily, or ought to be, if in instances really that they aren't, gender neutral and specifically just look at the welfare of the child and where it is best served and it is not supposed to be in favor of any gender just by virtue of their gender assignment and what orders can the court make regarding custody now because we're speaking about divorce i will restrict my treatment of the subject matter specifically to what happens when married persons separate and children in a household of married persons now the default position is usually joint custody. Now, when you hear me say joint custody, you will ask me, well, the child, if the parties are to be separate, then they can't both live with two different people in two different places. And this is where it is very important to distinguish between the concept of custody yes. and the concept of care and control. Now, custody relates to the rights and the responsibility of both parents to have a say in the decision-making process when it comes to the child's life, in particular education, health, religion, those sorts of things. Uh, and that's a general power and a general responsibility. Of course, we always talk about rights, never responsibilities, yes. but it's a joint concept. And that's what custody is. Care and control, Rondell, on the other hand, relates to where this child will live or with whom this child would live and who will be responsible for the day-to-day -day activities, movements, and functions of this child. What will be in their lunch kit? What, what time will they get up? What time will they go to school? What time they will be doing homework? Who will pick them up? Extracurricular activities. The person in control of that will be the person vested with care and control. Well, let's say both parents were invested in um, care and control of the children equally well, while know, they were married. 
you know, you, the first question you asked was, what orders the court can make? Yeah. The court makes an order for joint custody ordinarily, or it is presumed, unless the welfare of the children is somewhat in danger by virtue of one of the parties possessing some trait or some characteristic that will bring harm to the children. Or if one of the parents is migrating and that parent happens to be the parent who is the primary caregiver of the children and it is because of circumstances the children will leave with that parent and the other parent resists that, then the only way it will work is if the court awards another type of order called sole custody where notwithstanding the parental rights and responsibilities, that parent who is migrating with the child or in whose care the child is committed because of the danger posed by the other parent, that will be the order the court will make, sole custody. Yeah. Now, as it, of course, with sole custody, ordinarily will follow care and control. Yes. Now, even in instances of joint custody, Yes, if the court maintains that both parents have a right and responsibility to have a say in a major decision in the children's lives, then the decision must be made with whom the children should live. And care and control must be awarded to one. Your second question was, what if care and control is awarded to both? Yes. It is not commonplace, but it is happening more and more. The reason it was not very commonplace, in my respectful view, is that it appears to be a bit unsettling for a child to have two separate homes and to be bounced between one household and the next week to week or day to day. A child should feel comfortable, comfortable. safe and secure and have a home base. However, more and more in other jurisdictions and increasingly in this jurisdiction, the court is more open to facilitating arrangements where parents co-parent on an equitable basis, yeah. where the children spend an appreciable time at one household and then at another. And once it works and there's no animosity and the parents can communicate on equal terms and they hit that sweet spot that all parents should hit, that the decisions they make ought not to be born out of spite bitterness or vindictiveness against each other, but in the best interest of the children, yes. the court will permit that, look, you've hit that, you, you've hit that sweet spot. Mm -hmm. You understand what it means to be a co-parent. It is reasonable that you could have a relationship of co-parenting on the basis of joint care and control. And I can attest to that because I remember there is one matter which, which I would have done, that there were co-parenting between parents where the child um, would have spent equal amount of mm -hmm. time uh, with each parent. Correct. So it does happen, of course, possibly in rare circumstances. Correct. Uh, now, we've dealt with the care and control. Now, of course, one party ordinarily would have care and control, mm -hmm. and then the other, um, well, what happens to the other party? Right. Well, therein, you know, out of that arises the concept of access. Access is the facilitation of the child's right to have a continuing relationship with the parent who does not have care and control. Now, a lot of persons go to court and they say, I want to see my child or I want visitation. The correct term is access. And the concept of access is not vested in the rights of the parent is vested in the right of the child. So the court doesn't recognize the parent's right to see the child. It recognizes the child's right to maintain a relationship with the parent. And of course, we, we have to be gender neutral here where it does not matter whether it's the mother or the father has access. Uh, yes. Now, what's, what are the different kinds of access that um, orders that a court can make? All right. Uh, excellent question. 
Now, access works on a spectrum. And that spectrum is determined by the nature of the relationship between the parties. Let us assume at the highest, the parties reach that sweet spot where they get along. The decisions they make are in the best interest of their children. And both parties may have moved on in their lives without witness. It's utopia in family law. Yes. In those circumstances, then liberal access, where the parties themselves make a determination as to what happens, who sees the children when, and there's no animosity, there's no, this is my weekend, this is your weekend. They make an open and organic arrangement with each other regarding the children. It only works when the parties get along, they agree, and they cooperate. And then what happens if the party doesn't get along? <laughs> well, no. If it is that the parties do not get along, then the next best step would be structured access. Because the court is only there to tell you what to do when you can't agree between yourselves what to do. Yes. If it is two grown persons can't determine how to make this work between themselves, then they need to be put on terms. And the concept of that order would be structured access. And ordinarily, structured access would be either A, every other weekend or every weekend to the non-custodial parent. And if it's the father who does not have uh, care and control, then Father's Day he will have on his birthday, he will have on the child's birthday, he will have a share. And of course, I promise to be gender neutral, but in this instance, I'm just using it as an example. And of course, vice versa for Mother's Day, if it is a mother who does not have custodial care and control, then on Mother's Day, she will have the children. Yes. On her birthday, she can have the children and she should share the, the, the um, birthday of the child with the father. And of course, on alternate public holidays, they will share during the course of a calendar year. And of course, in Sri Tobago, there's so many calendar, calendar years. years. <laughs> you know? And then of course, for school vacations, you can split the long vacation and you can split the Easter vacation, you can split Christmas days. You know, everybody wants Christmas day, but the reality is Christmas Eve is really where it's at. I've come to realize. But is it that easy? Because sometimes the court will order structured access. And then um, part of the order will be that parties are to decide which, um, which half of the, the school term vacation uh, the child goes with which parent. And a lot of the times parties can't make that decision or there will be a, a pro uh, with respect to, to making such a decision. I have the greatest respect to my colleagues. I find that lazy drafting. Right. If, the, if you realize the parties do not get along and you've gone to structured access in the first place, then go all the way. Say which year it would be that one parent, parent A, has the first half and parent B has the second half. And simply in your order, you say alternately the second year it will be in the reverse. And just simple words put in the court order is going to guide the parents. So there's no, the next year, there's going to be no doubt. Of course, it's open to the parties to negotiate switching if they've made arrangements that are inconsistent with the order. But the order is there to guide you, so the order should be drafted in a complete format that allows for switching. Now, you have touched prior that the court orders join custody, care and control and access. Yes. But there are some parents that think because I have care and control, it means that I have the decision-making rights of a child. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Is it important to reiterate to parties that if you have access, you still have equal decision-making um, rights of a child and responsibilities for a child? Excellent question, and it goes even further. Even where sole custody is vested in one parent, so that means that parent has custody, they have care and control, and so they are vested with that right. There can be, under the prevailing act, under a particular section, and of course I know your viewers are interested in the substance, not the yes, form, from form, yes. that the parent who does not have custody may still maintain certain parental rights so that they should at least be consulted on these decisions before the decisions are taken so that it will not be outside of the realm of their knowledge at what my child is now of a particular religion or what my child had a major surgery. A case in point, extracurricular activities, that always sometimes seems to be a contention. It, it ought not to be. Correct. Uh, because anything that develops a child's physical or mental capabilities or has an emotional enhancement in their life should not be argued about. But if it is, and there's a parent who has custody, care, and control, it is not beyond the realm of the court's contemplation that they should still communicate with the other parents and elicit their views. Of course, if you are vested with custody, you do have the ultimate say. But at least you will have made a decision knowing what the sentiment of the other parent is before activating that decision. Now, we've, I, mean, I think that the, the, the audience who are viewing have enough knowledge in terms of at least custody and um, well, joint custody, care and control and access. Now, we're dealing with the very, very important aspect of this entire um, separation and children, which is maintenance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, how does one uh, financially provide for the support of a child? Or how does the court view on that? Well, the court looks at several things. If the parties are getting a divorce, or even before the parties get a divorce, the parent who is vested with the responsibility of taking care of the children or the primary caregiver will need some financial assistance. The responsibility for taking care of children is a joint one. You both made them, you both have to take care of them. And of course... Can you just repeat that? You both <laughs> made them. You both have to take, take care, care of them. them. Correct. Correct. Uh, and of course, there's gender neutrality. What the court looks at is the respective earning capacity of both parties, the, expect, the, you know, the, the respective responsibilities, financial and otherwise, of both parties, the needs of the children themselves. And of course, when you file a petition for divorce, and they are children of the family, it will not be accepted unless it is accompanied by a statement of arrangements for children, which we yes. addressed on the last occasion. And as you recall, I told you that that, item, that form itemizes every single expense that that child will incur throughout their life or for the rest of the order until that child is an adult. And of course, if it is you have the court considering the welfare of the child, then the welfare of the child being of paramount importance includes how that child is to be financially maintained. You may have the parent with custodial care and control yes. being also the person who is the primary earner. That being the case, 
there exist instances where they don't even ask for contribution to maintenance because it is something, it is a responsibility they've had all along and they continue to adopt that responsibility. Then it may be the reverse, that that person, because they were the primary caregiver, may have given up their career or have taken a less paying job to be more present in the lives of the children. And because the household during the marriage was designed in such a way to cater specifically to yeah. that, and it was by arrangement between the parties, the court will say that the status quo ought reasonably to be maintained. So the parent who is a non-custodial parent will have to make a larger proportion of the contribution to the welfare of the children. So yes, it may start off at 50-50, but it's a sliding scale dependent on the parent's respective financial abilities, capabilities, and previous responsibilities. Now, what happens if one of the child, of, of course, we have discussed children of the family doesn't necessarily mean biological child. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens with respect to the maintenance of a child that is not um, of the biological parent? All right. So if that child is not a child of the biological parent and an application is made to the court as it can be made for financial provision for that child in the divorce proceedings, what the court will consider is whether that child was deemed to be a child of the family. And as I explained before, the concept of being a child of the family includes whether that parent who had financial responsibility yes. adopted financial responsibility specifically for that child, whether there was a parent-child relationship with that. Because in the scenario you've painted, it is mm -hmm. quite possible that that child is being maintained pursuant to another order by the court for the biological father of the child to take care of that child, in which case it will be superfluous to ask this um, parent, parent to adopt responsibility when that is already taken care of. But if it is not the case and this parent has already adopted responsibility, the court will want that status quo to be maintained yes. to the extent that it is practicable to do so. And up to what age can maintenance be ordered or be paid mm. by the well, it used to be 16, it's now 18, or there are circumstances where if that child is either A, involved in tertiary level education or training or in a trade profession or vocation, or if that child suffers a disability, then the court will ask that there an order be made that the child continues to be maintained by that parent and doesn't beyond the age of 18 and doesn't necessarily mean up to 21 or until whatever until, until the child completes tertiary level education or until further order and how does the court determine what sum is appropriate uh that's for a maintenance? very long question because <laughs> there are several considerations but to wrap yes. it up for you i can see that the financial needs and obligations of the parent respective to their earning capacities then you look at the children and what their actual needs are, especially if there are any mental or physical disabilities of the child that need to be catered for. And these expenses can be disaggregated into monthly expenses, expenses per term or annualized expenses. And you will see that the statement of arrangements, cap that form captures each uh, quantifiable type of expense that ought to be catered for in the order. The court looks at it and whatever the total is, they then ascribe and proportion between the parents based on their respective earning capacities, what proportion each parent should pay. But then the parent who has custody of a child who is probably earning the less may say that, listen, I want more. And they are determining that they want more. 
if, you, if the divorce occurs earlier in the child's life, and of course, the cost of maintaining a child increases exponentially with time, then the court grants liberty to apply so that there can be variations to that order because the cost to maintain a five-year-old is significantly less than to maintain a 15-year-old. So it will raise with time and the expectation is either you go back to the court and ask for more but not just because you feel to it must be justifiable on the basis of a legitimate increase in expenses. Justin, so many to talk, so much things to talk about with respect to, to yes. custody, maintenance, access, um, welfare of the children. And of course, the court makes a declaration thereafter once it is satisfied that the provisions of the children are, yes. are met, the welfare yes. of the children are met. Correct. Justin, um, we are out of time. Of course, I would be inviting you back if you, with your good graces. <laughs> God spare me life. <laughs> and thank you so much for coming again and imparting of your wealth of knowledge and easy breakdown of, 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 um, of the law you know, you for the layman. So thanks again. Thank you for having me. You have been watching Strictly Legal. Of course, my name is Rondel Donoa and I did have my guest. Well, my guest is with me, Mr. Justin Jonker, and we are grateful for him to be here again. So, be viewing our next episode. Catch us live again next week, Thursdays, 10 a.m. Thank you. God bless. Goodbye.